0: All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn over to Isaiah chapter 43, Isaiah chapter 43. Pray for me as we go through the message that my voice will hold up. I don't usually have that issue, but I, just between the messages that I preached this week and the, the weather and the changes and all that stuff, it, it got to me and uh, I'm hanging on by a thread. So, Isaiah chapter 43, we're going to look at this passage this morning and look at a few verses. In beginning in verse number one, the Bible says this, But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom. Ransom, Ethiopia, and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee, and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east, and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far, <clears throat> and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him. Yea, I have made him. A Hindu merchant in India once asked the missionary that was over there, What do you put on your face to make it shine? Well, the missionary, obviously, he said, I don't put anything on my face. And this questioner started to lose patience with this missionary, and he said, Yes, you do. All of you who believe in Jesus, put something on your face. I've seen it. I've seen it in the towns of Agra and Surat and even in the city of Bombay. And all of a sudden, the Christian I was talking to this man, understood, and his face glowed even more. He said, now I, know what I, now I know what you mean, and I'll tell you the secret. It's not something we put on the outside. It's something that we have on the inside, Amen. and that's Jesus Christ. It's a reflection of the light of God in our hearts, and I think far too many Christians today lack the shine of joy on their faces. So many of us believe that in order to be truly spiritual, you have to be, you have to be gloomy. You have to have a, a sour look on your face, or you have, to, you, know, you have to walk around as if you're in this great depression because I'm a Christian and I can't do anything. And No, we to have the joy of the Lord on our face. A lot of, a lot of the uh, troubles in life we allow to happen, and the, uh, the, the personal misunderstandings, the different things that we go through, we allow that to undermine our joy. A lot of people, I think, have forgotten what God's done for them. These, these verses are primarily written to the nation of Israel, obviously, but I believe that all the Bible is given to us, and whether it's, whether it's specifically for the nation of Israel and we can pull something from it or not, it's, it's up to us to pull it out of that passage. Now, that's what we're going to do this morning, but God's promising Israel that he's going to sustain him. He's promising them that he's going to deliver them. He's promising, the, you know, delivery from their captivity, and ultimately that he's going to gather them together in his millennial kingdom when it's all said and done. And even though these verses were written from them, there's still some tremendous application here in Isaiah chapter 43 for you and me. So in these verses, we come across certain reminders that are designed to teach us the truths about learning about our salvation, learning to enjoy our salvation. So let's take a few minutes and and, and consider some of these precious reminders that we find in Isaiah 43. Here's why we can enjoy our salvation. Let's pray and we'll look at it this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much. For the opportunity to be here this morning. God, I thank you for the opportunity we have to still open your word. I pray for this nation. God, I pray for for, for our sin as a a nation, as a whole, but God, I pray for the sin of the church. I pray that we confess and forsake them, that you have mercy upon us and to our God, because he'll abundantly pardon. I pray that you'd help us to throw ourselves on your mercy. But God, as we look at these things this morning in this passage, give us a reminder of just exactly what you've done for us if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. Give us that joy that comes in knowing you. Give us the joy that we can have because we know not just what is uh, what we have here in this life, but what we have hereafter. And God, I pray that you'd help us as we look at these things this morning, that you'd speak to our hearts in only the way that the Holy Spirit can. Thank you for all you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to see is this. We, we are reminded by our past, and we see a lot of different things there in Isaiah 43. In fact, if you will, just get a bookmark or a Or a ribbon or something like that and put it in there. We're going to look at a lot of passages, but we're going to come back to this quite a bit this morning. And I I, I kind of just want to go down this passage and look at some of the things that God reminded the nation of Israel about. That I believe he's trying to remind us today of as well. But he reminds us, by we're reminded by our past. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 1. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. Most of us would just soon forget our past, I'm afraid. I'm thankful that God saved me when he did. I'm, I'm thankful that he saved me from a life of, of misery and heartache, but a lot of people have, saved, have been saved out of that life. And they have a lot of things in their past that they just as soon forget, but none of, them, uh, no, none of them are anything to brag about, but it's the very past that we wish we could forget that makes the present so wonderful. When we think about what Jesus Christ actually saved us from, how can we help but get excited about our salvation? If you look at the context, God's reminding Israel of what he's done for them. Verse 3, For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee, since thou wast precious in my sight. Thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Thank God for his love for us. He says that what he did for them was precious. That word precious means to be esteemed or to hold very valuable. We were such value to God that he was willing to give his son, Jesus Christ, for us. What a high price he put on our souls. John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want you you to notice here in this passage three great ministries that God's performed for every believer in the past. The first one is redemption. We see that. He says very clearly, I have redeemed thee. Think of the great price that he paid for Israel. And what a great price he paid for our souls. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Turn over to First Peter chapter 1. Again, keep your finger there in Isaiah 43. We're coming back. But First Peter chapter 1, again, a verse that I believe is pretty familiar to you. But we were saved because 2,000 years before we were even born, the Lord Jesus willingly died to save our souls. He says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And when we came to him in faith, he was willing to receive us just as we were, and through pure grace forgive us and save us. We see that he was willing to redeem us, he gave us that redemption, but also you see in verse number one of chapter 43 back in Isaiah, we see renewal. He says, I have called thee by thy name. When God says he called them by their name, it implies a very intimate knowledge of just exactly who they were. He knew them by name. Boy, it's something when somebody remembers your name, isn't it? You come in and and you've seen somebody once, maybe even months ago, and you come back and they remember and they say, hey, good to see you, and they call you by your name. That, That means something, doesn't it? It means that they were at least thinking about you or at least they were paying attention to you when they saw you the first time, right? And that's exactly what God does for us. It also implies that he knows what we are now. When we became his, he changed our name. We became a Christian, right, a little Christ. He changes our name. When we came to meet him, we experienced that renewal, Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you will. While you're turning over there, I want to read to you John chapter 3 and verse number 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. A couple verses later, he says, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. But he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17, and I hope it sounds a little bit familiar to you because it's the verse we're memorizing for this month. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The Lord changes everything he touches. You ever heard the story, the, the, the myth about King Midas, right? Everything he touched turned to gold. Everything the Lord touches, he changes. Lepers, the blind, the deaf, the lame. He can change a sinner and make us new. Somebody said it this way. Give him your crab apple and he'll give you back a golden and delicious. Give him your acorn, and he'll give you back a mighty oak. Give him an Abram, a lost pagan, and he'll give you back an Abraham, a mighty man of faith. Give him your Jacob, a schemer and a trickster, and he'll give you back an Israel, a prince of God. Give him your Saul of Tarsus, a mean, cruel man, and he'll give you back a Paul, a mighty apostle of God. Give him your Simon, a weak, vacillating man, and he'll give you back a Peter, a rock for Jesus. Give him your burden, sin-scarred life, and he'll give you back a new start, a new life, and a home in heaven. What a great thing. Whatever renewal that we have because we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, when we think of what we were and what Jesus made us, it ought to make us enjoy our salvation. But the third thing that he gave us is a reception. He says back in Isaiah 43 and verse 1, Thou art mine. God reminds the Israelites here that he's taken possession of them, that they're his alone. When we came to Jesus Christ, he received us just as we are. John chapter 6 and verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Nobody that comes to Jesus Christ is too much of a sinner. Nobody that comes to Jesus Christ is too far gone for him to save. I will in no wise cast out, he says, anybody that comes to Jesus Christ. And at that very moment of salvation, Jesus took possession of our lives, and now we belong to him. Well, there's lots of verses in the Bible that talk about this, but you can't lose your salvation once you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Right. If you could lose your salvation, number one, that means you're doing something to keep it, but it also means that Jesus Christ does not have the power to keep you. Right. He has the power to keep us, and once we became his, we became his forever. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20, for You are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. By the way, nothing can ever change that status. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14 who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. When we take a moment and look back at where he brought us from it should encourage us, should give us great joy in our salvation. We're reminded by our past, but number 2 in Isaiah chapter 3 and verse number 2 we we are reminded by his provisions. Think about what God did for Israel in the wilderness. Boy, God reminds them that he met their needs since day one and that he pledged himself to to continue to do just that. All of these circumstances that he references there in verse number two are all famous events, if you will, in the nation of Israel's history. He says in verse number two, uh, when thou passest through the waters, Exodus 14 talks about passing through the Red Sea on dry ground, right? He says, when, when thou pass through the river, talks about crossing the Jordan in Deuteronomy chapter 4, walking through the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, walking through the flames, and God protecting them, God joining them in, those, in, in that fire. What does that mean for us? It just means that God's not changed. The same thing that he did for the Israelites, he can do for us today. The same God that, served, that the Israelites served is the same God that we've served today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He doesn't change. And the same way that he did it for those Israelites back then is the same thing that he can do for us today. After all, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 9, And ye masters, do the same things unto them for bearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there any respect of persons with him. He doesn't respect a, a person. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, black, white, old, young, doesn't matter. To Jesus Christ, you are the same before him. There's no possible way that, that God will fail to fulfill his promises to us. There's several reasons why we can count on God to supply us. Number one, turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Number one, he's able. Think of all the things that he's done in the past. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. He clothed. Israel in the wilderness. The Bible says in in Deuteronomy chapter 29 that even their shoes did not wear out. He provided for them with manna in the wilderness in Exodus chapter 16. Do you know that in order to feed the entire nation of Israel with the amount of manna that he fed them, they would have to have 200, there was 240 boxcars full of manna every single day. Think about that. That is, that's a miraculous provision. He fed the widow of Zarephath and Elijah for three and a half years in the middle of a famine. He fed the 5,000 in John chapter 6. He's done that same thing for us more times than we can count. He's able, but also he's willing. God wants to meet your need more than you want him to meet your needs. I know that, that, that sounds kind of counterproductive, but how can God want to meet it more than we do? But he does, and he makes it very clear. And for the sake of time and for my voice, I'm not going to read Matthew chapter 6, but he talks about the fact that he clothes the lilies of the field. He feeds the birds. How much more do you think he's going to care about you? But in Luke chapter 12 and verse 32, he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's able, he's willing, but also he's faithful to his word. Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Romans chapter 4 and verse 21, And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Now also, I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 13, go over there if you will. He's willing, or he's able, he's willing. He's faithful to his word. And number four, he's always near. He isn't just going to be there. He's there all the time. He's not just there when we need him. He's not just there when we feel like we want to call upon him. He's there all the time. He watches us. He sees us. He protects us. He takes care of us. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20. And lo, I am with you always, he says, even unto the end of the world. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Whatever the need, God stands ready, willing, and able to take care of that situation. We should be able to enjoy our salvation. We can when we learn to leave the worrying to him. Boy, we spend so much of our time worrying about what's going to happen. What's going to be this? What's going to be that? What's this world going to look like in 10 years? I don't know what the world's going to look like in 10 years. If it continues in the direction that it's going, it's probably not going to be good. But why do we have to worry about it? We don't need to worry about tomorrow. God's already there. He's already seen it. He knows what it's going to look like. He's already promised that he's going to protect us. He's already promised that he's going to provide for us. He's always, already promised that he's, going to, that he's going to be there for us. What do we have to worry about? Notice what the Lord says back in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse number 2. When thou passest through, when thou walkest through, to me, that gives an indication that these trials, the battles, the problems in life, they're just temporary. We're going through them, right? If you go through a tunnel, you don't get halfway there and stop, never come out, right? When you pass through those things, it it's means that you're only going to be there for a little while, and you're going to come out on the other side. Boy, one day there's gonna, all, all, all of this is going to pass away, the trouble and, and, and the trials and all of this stuff. They're not going to be able to trouble the saints of God anymore. Revelation 21, verse 4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. What a a great day that's going to be when we get to see Jesus, right? That's not what we're talking about this morning, but he could come back at any time, and I sure hope that he does. But when he comes back, all of these things that we're dealing with now are not going to sound like anything. They're not going to be anything. And boy, when you start to compare your problems with, with some of the problems of those, especially in Afghanistan right now, what those Christians are going through, the martyrs and, and those that are being killed for their faith in Jesus Christ, boy, our petty little problems seem just like that, right? Pretty petty. We, we complain about, oh, it's too hot or it's too cold or it's, not, it's too wet or it's too dry or I can't do this or I can't do that. Boy, when, when you consider the fact that there are Christians all over this world that are dying for their faith, our problems seem awful petty. And besides that, one of these days we're going to be with Jesus Christ and all of those things are going to be passed away. He's going to wipe it all away. We're reminded by our past, but we're also reminded by his provisions. And lastly, back over in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 5. We're reminded by his promises. Verse number 5, the Bible says this, Fear not, for I am with thee. I'll bring thy seed from the east, and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, Give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Even every one that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. In these verses, God reminds his people that they have a very bright future, right? We see what happens in the past. We see what happens in the present. And he promises us that that those things are going to be that way in the future. He promises that he's going to gather them together. Promises that he's going to bring them back into their promised land. And in the millennium, that's going to become a reality. But Israel will again rest in peace. And those chosen people of God will have that land again for their own. What a day that's going to be for them, but these verses, even though they're speaking primarily about Israel, uh, there's an application for you and me again here. We live under the hope of his promises. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to remind you of a couple things and then we'll be done. Boy, there's going to be a gathering. One day Jesus Christ is going to return in the clouds. He's going to receive us up into glory. What a day that's going to be. All those that have gone on before us, we're going to see him again. All the things that we go through in this life, they're going to be done. The temptation, the devil's going to be defeated. All of those things are going to be gone, and we're going to meet Jesus Christ in the air. What a tremendous day that's going to be. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. John chapter 14 and verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. He's coming back for us, but he's preparing a place for us now. And his promises are promises that are never going to be given up. Some of you may remember the name Harold Camping. He was an evangelist that made millions of dollars predicting the day that Jesus Christ was going to come back. And, of course, that day came and went and no Jesus. And so he modified his, his date, and, of course, he, he predicted May of 2011. He had predicted originally 1994. I guess if you put it out far enough, then maybe you'll be dead by that time, or maybe you'll get lucky, and Jesus Christ will come back in that time. Either way, you've made your millions off of it. But he said May 2011, Jesus Christ was going to come back. When that came and went, he predicted October of 2011. He was just a little bit off in his calculations. He said, and actually, it's October. He's coming back in October. Well, that came and went, obviously, without Christ coming back. And so he ended up coming back, and he said later that he was sorry for his predictions. He said that, that they were foolish and sinful because of what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, and verse number 36, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels in heaven, but my Father only. One day, a day that's known only to the omniscience of God, he's going to come back for us. And boy, I sure hope you're ready for that day you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not prepared for the day that Jesus Christ is going to come back. Right. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and he shows up, you're going to end up being one of the ones that's left behind. And I can't imagine, man, spending years and years and years in church, spending hours and hours and hours of your life listening to messages, and then the rapture happens and just about everybody in the auditorium is gone and you're left sitting there, knowing exactly what's taking place. Could you imagine the feeling that's going to wash over you? Well, I'm just afraid of what people are going to think of me if I walk forward and say that I've never been saved. And <laughs> Imagine what you're going to think when you're sitting there alone and it's too late because Jesus Christ already came back and you missed it. There is no embarrassment. There is, no, uh, there is no, there's nothing that should keep you from coming to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I can promise you this. It doesn't matter if you've been here for five days or five years or 50 years. If you've been sitting in church all the time and don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I can guarantee you that the moment you step out of your seat and you walk forward and you come down here and get somebody to take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure that you're going to go to heaven, this entire auditorium will be rejoicing with you. Nobody's going to be making fun of you saying, what took you so long? Nobody's going to be laughing at you saying, wow, I can't believe he wasn't saved. No, we'll be rejoicing with you the fact that you know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die. But one day, Jesus Christ is going to come again and all his people are going to be leaving this world to spend an eternity with him in heaven. We have the promise that there will be gathering, that there will be a gathering. But number two, we have a promise that there will be glory. Turn over to Revelation chapter 21. Verse 7 of Isaiah 43 reminds us that God's purpose in the creation of man and again in his redemption of man is to bring glory to himself. But one of those ways that God brings glory to himself is by bringing us to glory. Boy, there's only one person that has the power and the ability to do that, and that's God himself. Oh, you show up in heaven. It's not because of something that you did. It's because of something that he did. He's the only one that has the power to do that. We're heaven bound. The Bible says in Revelation 21 and verse 4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. There's going to be glory. We're going to get that glorified body. All those things that we have, the pain, the death, the sickness, it's all going to be gone. And we're going to have that glorified body and it's going to bring glory to Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 3, you're pretty close to that. If you will, turn back a couple of verses and look at this. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Boy, we're going to be glorified, and our glorified bodies are going to bring glory to Jesus Christ. Our glorified bodies are going to bring glory to God. What a day that's going to be. And that's a promise that we have in his word, that there's going to be a gathering, but there's also going to be glory. Heaven is that city, and according to the Bible, it's transparent in its appearance. There's streets of gold, there's rubies, there's sapphires, there's gates of pearl. I can't imagine what heaven's going to be like. And boy, I'll tell you, when we start wanting the world, and we start wanting to live here more than we want to live there, it's because we have such a small view of what heaven really is going to be like. We have such a small view of the majesty of God. And I don't want to die, but boy, you can't threaten me with heaven. I'm looking forward to going. And when I get there, boy, I'm telling you what, we're going to enjoy every minute of it. Add to that the brilliance of all the things that we see, the glorified bodies of those who are redeemed. God's going to glorify himself in us. We shall see him. We shall be with him forever, the Bible says. According to Revelation, heaven's a beautiful place. But heaven will be about the praise and worship of the king. Are you ready for that promise to become a reality? I hope so, because it's not going to be long now. God saved us in the past. If you know Jesus Christ as your savior, boy, you you have a glorious thing that happened to you. And I know sometimes we don't want to dwell on the past, and and you shouldn't be dwelling on the past, but when you think back of what you were and what God made out of you when you accepted him as your Savior, he changed your life. He changed you completely. He made you into something new. What a tremendous thing that is. And boy, it doesn't matter if you've been saved for five years or 50 years. It's something that ought to get you excited about what Jesus Christ has done for you. We ought to learn to remind ourselves to joy in our salvation. Not only did he save us in the past, he provides for us in the present. I've been young, and now I am old, the psalmist says. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging bread. God provides for us. His promises are present, but then he also has a beautiful plan for us in the future. Turn over to Luke chapter 10, and we'll be done. We think about all these things. Don't you think we ought to be enjoying our salvation just a little bit more than we are? Most of the time, we just get something that's old to us. Most of the time, we just get something that we're glad we have and thankful for. But we don't really joy in our salvation. When I look around me, when I look behind me, when I look ahead at what's coming, I see a lot of reasons to joy in the Christian life. So let's get on with the business of enjoying this wonderful thing called salvation that God has so graciously given to those who know Him as their Savior. If you're saved, you have one reason to praise, worship, and joy, And rejoice that can never be taken away from you. Luke chapter 10 and verse number 20. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Think about that. He was talking to the disciples talking to the apostle and he's saying, boy, you have all the uh, ability and God gave them that ability to heal and to to speak in tongues and to do all these other different things so that they could prove the the authority of their apostleship and so that they could have the authority as they spread the message of the word of God to a world that had never even heard of Jesus Christ. But he said, don't don't be rejoicing in those things. Those, Those things are not special compared to the fact that your name is written in the book of life. In this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Are you enjoying your salvation today? tell you this, if you're really joying in your salvation, you're going to share it with other people. You're going to share it with as many people as you can possibly get within the sound of your voice. You're not going to be ashamed of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're not going to be embarrassed to go talk about it to other people. You joy in your salvation, you're going to want as many other people to go there with you as you can. Well, there's two options when we get to heaven. We're going to stand there in heaven, and the Bible says that God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. I believe that there will be tears in heaven until the day that he wipes away those tears, which means this. I believe we're going to see those that are condemned to spend an eternity in hell because we did not take the opportunity to share the message of the gospel with them. So we're either going to be standing there in heaven with tears in our eyes because we didn't share the message of the gospel with those who are condemned to spend an eternity in hell or we're going to be standing there rejoicing because we've got a whole crowd of people around us Amen. that we brought with us. Amen. If you're joying in your salvation, you'll let others know about it. Amen. I hope you're joying in your salvation today. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Can we thank you so much for how good you are to us. Well, what a tremendous, wonderful thing it is that you died on the cross to save us and that we have the opportunity to accept you as our Savior. I do pray if there is somebody in here, whether they've been in church their entire life, whether they are counting on all kinds of different things, whether it be baptism or or their good works or whatever it is, God, there's so many things that we put our faith and trust and hope in. But unless it's in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone, there is no salvation. And God, I do pray that if there is anybody in here this morning that does not know for sure that they're on their way to heaven, that before they walk out of this place this morning, they'll get that settled. But for those of us who do, those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, I pray that you'd help us to get get on with this business of enjoying what we have in you and using that joy to share it with other people. And God, I pray that if there's anybody in here that's lost that joy of their salvation, anybody that hasn't been... Busy witnessing for you, anybody that hasn't been busy living for you, pray that you'd help them to get the joy of that salvation back. They might use that to go on and do more for you with the time that we have left. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I think for the most part, this is an encouraging message rather than a convicting message, but perhaps the Holy Spirit convicted you about something that you're not doing in your life. Perhaps you haven't told God, thank you, recently for what he's done for you. Well, there's going to be an opportunity here in just a second for you to come down and kneel at this altar. Tell him thank you for what he's done. Tell him thank you for his mercy. Tell him thank you for his grace. Ask him to help you to live for him because of it. If God's spoken to your heart this morning as the piano plays, the invitation is open. You can come.